0: Thank you for the reading of that scripture, Nathan. And reflecting on what he just read today, we do want to consider the goodness and severity of God. But especially today in relation to our topic this hour, want us to focus on the severity of God and on one individual on whom that severity fell. And we want to consider what what ramifications this account may have upon our lives today it's an old testament account you understand we're not bound we're not bound to the old testament today that's not the law we follow but as the new testament tells us those things which were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope and so therefore those things are still beneficial to us we can learn something about the nature of God we can learn about things that God hates and how God feels about certain things and even though the ritualistic aspect of uh, the ceremonial aspect of the old law is not enforced today and we have new circumstances in relation to our worship today still there are a great number of principles that we can derive from the old testament our text today is second samuel chapter 6 if you would like to open there i'm about to read the the opening seven verses as we consider this account today <clears throat> have a picture on the screen here that somewhat depicts the scene that we are about to read about <clears throat> second samuel chapter 6 1 through 7 if you would read with me and uh, again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people that were before him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence, or from there, the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries, on trembles and on cornets and, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. This has been a text that has been shocking, to say the least, to many people. And of course, it is very puzzling in some regards until we understand the rest of the story, which we will look at today. Here is David with a very good purpose, bringing the ark back <coughs> to, to Jerusalem and bringing it back into the worship of God again. It's been forgotten for some time. It's been setting idle for a number of years. And so he's got a good purpose. And then this great celebration is taking place and then God crashes the party by killing this man who would have done what any one of us would have also done. The oxen that were leading that were pulling this cart stumbled and this the ark apparently looked as if it might slide off of the cart and sustain some damage. And so this man did what probably any of us would have done. He reached his hand up to steady the ark and prevent it from falling, and he died for it. And so this leaves questions in the mind of any honest Bible student. Why? This kind of seems like maybe God overreacted on this instance. Why did God, why was he so harsh in this situation? Why did he strike this man down? Of course, this is one of the favorite passages of Bible critics who will often reference it and say, now, is this the kind of God that you want to serve? This egotistical maniac, is that what the kind of God you serve? This is one of those accounts that Paul Harvey, if you're old enough to remember who Paul Harvey is, this is one of those accounts that he would have been delighted to have told the rest of the story. Today, we are going to look at the rest of the story. And and I'm convinced when we understand the rest of the story not only will we understand why this happened we can also gain quite a few lessons that we can apply to our own christian lives so that we can be better servants of god second samuel chapter 6 verse 7 we read that god smote him that is uzzah for his error so let us investigate today what was uzzah's error for which he was smote. To do this, first of all, we need to start by understanding a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. A little bit about the Ark. What was the Ark? Where where was the Ark? We want to track the movements of the Ark just a little bit. All of this will really help us in the end to bring all this together. The Ark was the most significant physical symbol of God's presence uh, that Israel had. Constructed in the days of Moses according to the pattern that was given him on the mount. It's recorded there in Exodus chapter 25. All, it, it begins to be recorded there. In fact, all of the temple furnishings, everything, or all of the tabernacle furnishings, everything is described in, in very very minute details as to how God wanted all these things to be crafted and to be set up. And among that, in chapter 25, we find the description of the ark and how it was to be crafted. It was a ornately carved box overlaid with pure gold. Housing that is within this ark, it was a box. Within this box was kept the stone tablets that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Also within this box was Aaron's rod that budded and and some of the manna that came from heaven. These things were kept in the box as memorials of Israel's journey with God and the great many things that had... They were meant to remind them of the great things that happened when God delivered them from captivity in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness wanderings to the promised land. This box... Excuse me, voice crack there. This box had rings fashioned upon the side of it <clears throat> these rings in each of its four corners were to place staves through so that the people so that the levites could lift those lift those staves and they could carry this box the lid that went on top of this box was called the mercy seat it was also decorated and had these beautiful cherubim as you see depicted on the screen here now this isn't actually a this isn't an actual Uh, a replica of the ark, because we don't have the ark in existence today, but it's an artist's depiction of, based on Scripture, what it must have looked like. Between these two cherubim, or angels, they had their wings stretched forward, and between those angels, where you see the glowing on the screen there, is the place where God symbolically was, was dwelt. Within, between the cherubims. It's even referenced in our text today, he that dwelleth between the cherubims. And so this was symbolically, this was the place where God came to commune with his people. This box, the Ark of the Covenant, was placed within the tabernacle in the most holy place of the tabernacle. It was shielded from all eyes except for the high priest who would once a year go in and sprinkle it with the blood with blood of, of a lamb on the day of atonement. The ark was the visual symbol of God's presence. His holiness, His mercy, and its symbolism also pointed, pointed forward to the Messiah who was to come. The ark was always with Israel. From the time of Moses to the time of Joshua through the conquest of Canaan, the ark was so very important it was always with God's people. According to God's directions, the priests once carried the ark across the Jordan River, and the, the Jordan River had actually flooded its banks during this time of the year, and as, they, as the priests carried the ark of the covenant, the waters parted, and they walked across that river on dry land. Yes, it's very similar to the Exodus account when they crossed the Red Sea, but not the same account. Twice God's people walked through waters that were parted. This particular time, they carried the priests carried the ark in the Jordan rivers. The waters parted, and they walked across on dry, dry land. That's recorded in Joshua chapter 3. A few chapters later, in Joshua chapter 6, on another occasion directed by God, the priests bore the ark around, as they marched around the city of Jericho, and when they shouted, the walls of the city fell, and they were able to take that city. Close to the end of the time of the judges, now these events that I just described might explain why the, why the Israelites made this terrible, terrible mistake that follows. Close to the time of the end of the Judges, the Israelites had, for the most part, abandoned God and had ado- adopted the ways of all the pagan idolaters around them, and they were losing a battle against their long-standing enemy during this time, the Philistines. And so they got this bright idea, it's in 1 Samuel chapter it's in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. I believe that should be 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. They get this bright idea to, go to get the Ark of the Covenant, which then resided in Shiloh, and to carry it into battle against the Philistines. Do you understand what mistake they've made? Up until this point, God commanded them when they were supposed to carry the Ark into battle. This time, of their own accord, of their own will, they just got a hunch. In other words, they started treating the Ark as if it was a lucky rabbit's foot. You know, if we just have this magic box with us, we're always going to win. The problem is God didn't tell them to take it this time. They did this. this was of their own idea, their own invention. Well, they learned a terrible lesson that day. They learned that God is not a genie in a lamp that you can call upon whenever you want and that he will fight for you and win every battle for you. They absolutely were slaughtered in that battle against the Philistines, and not only did they lose the battle, the Ark, their precious Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. The Philistines uh, took this as a spoil of battle, and the poor Philistines, they had absolutely no idea what what they were getting into when they took this box. Later on, they're going to give this box back and say, hey, you can have this thing back, we don't want it anymore. They learned, (coughs) the Philistines, they took the Ark to one of their capital cities. In, in the city of Ashdod, they put it in the temple of one of their gods named Dagon, a fish god. And then, as a result of that, their idol fell, their idol god, Dagon, fell and was a broken heap upon the floor. And then they began to be plagued with things like what may, may have been something like tumors. They sent it to Gath, another one of their capital cities, I figured, well, Maybe maybe the, maybe the maybe this item just don't want to be here. We'll send it to another city. They sent it to Gath, same problem. They sent it to Ekron, same fine problem. Finally, they put two and two together. They got to thinking about all the plagues they had heard about Egypt and, and then this item here, and they just decided, you know what? Let's send this thing back. And so not only did they send it back, they sent it back with a trespass offering. They sent it back with gold emblems within inside of it. They sent it to the Israelite city of Beth Shemesh. And they sent it on a cart pulled by two oxen. That might be where the Israelites got the idea to carry carry the ark on a cart themselves. In Beth Shemesh, the Israelites looked into the ark. Which was clearly against the will of God. The ark was a holy item. It was supposed to, something that was only supposed to be touched by the Levites, when in transport. It was only supposed to be within the most holy place, only seen by the eyes of the high priest once a year. <coughs> and they opened it. They looked within inside it. Over 50,000 people in Bethshemesh died that day. First Samuel chapter 6, verse 19, probably where they got the idea in Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you've ever seen that, uh, of what happened in that movie. And so it was sent then to a place called Kerjath-Jerim, to the house of a man named Abinadab. There it was kept for 20 years, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And so, just to retrace where we've been, the ark has gone from being this sacred, revered item that blessed them, to being treated like a good luck charm or a genie in a lamp, to now being hid away like a weapon of mass destruction that no one really understands how to use. This brings us back to where our story began. Where David said in our text, let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we inquired not of it in the days of Saul. See, in all the reign of Saul, no one ever thought about this, no one ever thought about the ark, or no one ever sent to bring it. To Jerusalem it just kind of stayed there out of sight out of mind and David says I'm a man of God my heart's pure I I do what God wants me to do and I understand this is a this is a great sacred item that God has given unto us his 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 faithful nation we need to bring this to Jerusalem doesn't seem like a bad idea no wonder there's a great parade and the celebration going on everything was great until until that moment When Uzzah was struck dead because of his error. Now, up until this point, I want to draw your attention to something. If you haven't noticed, God has been far more lenient with the Philistines than He has with the Israelites. Think about it. The Philistines, they had this idol in their in their or they had this the Ark in with their idol in their temple in their cities, and during that time, they moved it three different times. And there were, they were struck with some maladies, tumors or whatever it was, and whatever maladies they were struck with. And then they began to lose some people. But that was, over, that was over a period of time, over I think seven months, and over several movings. But Israel, on the other hand, they lost thousands of lives when the ark was lost. They lost thousands more when they looked into the ark. And then now Uzzah, Uzzah touches the ark and he dies too. Why is it that God's so strict with Israel, but He's been so lenient with, Philistines, with the Philistines? I think the answer to that also it relates to our question, what we're studying, the, the reason that we're studying this today. The reason is that God had told the Israelites what He expected of them. He had told them how the ark was to be treated. He had told them how the ark was to be transported. The Philistines, they didn't know any better. God didn't tell them. He didn't tell them how to construct this thing. He didn't tell them how to transport. He didn't tell them any of that. And so they learned a a difficult lesson. But Israel, Israel should have known better. God had given them instructions on how to treat it and how to transport it. And now we need to look at that for a minute. We need to look at how they were supposed to treat it and transport it. The service assignments (coughs) in Numbers Numbers chapter 3. God selected the Levites to represent the firstborn of all the Israelites. The patriarch of that tribe, Levi, he had three sons. Gershom, Merari, and Kohath. Chapter 3, verse 17. In Numbers chapter 4, God gave specific assignments to each one of these descendants of Levi from then on to the end of the Mosaic dispensation what what their assignments were going to be. You'll see them on the screen. To the Gershomites, the sons, the sons of Gershom, they were to transport the furnishings of the temple, specifically all the curtains, all the coverings, and all the hangings. That was their job. When, they pack, when Israel packed up and moved somewhere, it was their job to pack up the curtains, the coverings, and the hangings. To the other sons of Levi, the, those descendants of Merari, the Merarites, their specific job was to pack up the boards, the pillars, the bars, and the sockets. Kind of sounds like they're putting together some Ikea stuff there, don't <clears> they? <throat> Everything was fitly framed together, right? Everything was, hopefully, it assembled a little bit better than some of that Ikea stuff. But this was Merari's job. They were to pack this up. Finally, the Kohathites, the, well, the Kohathites, they were to transport the most holy things. That is, the the laver, the, in, the, the incense, uh, the... The uh, all the temple furnishings, the the uh, <coughs> the, candles, the candle, the candle, the lampstands, and all those things that we read of that were within the temple. That was the things they were to carry, to carry, including the ark of the covenant. His sons were to take down the sanctuary. They were to cover all the holy items with clothes and badger skin with cloths of badger skins, and then they were to transport them. But please notice. This one very important statement that's made there. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end to the covering of the sanctuary and all the vessels in the sanctuary, and the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Friends, don't you think if you were, if you were of, of the tribe of Levi and you were a Kohathite, don't you think it's your business to know this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to know this. Threat of death. And so there it is, the punishment we saw of receive. But you might still be saying, okay, I, I see it there, but, but God warned them not to touch the ark. But wouldn't anyone still have done so? I mean, if... If you saw this thing about to slide off as much work and and what it represented, surely you would want to stop it from falling and hitting the ground. Well, there's one more piece to the puzzle that we need to know. One more piece to the puzzle. In chapter 7 of Numbers, the Israelites had had crafted all the pieces of the tabernacle and they had constructed the tabernacle to God's specifications. A great offering was made on that day. And the things that they offered are recorded there in Numbers chapter 7. Among them, when the tabernacle was completed, every tribe gave an offering, including six covered wagons and twelve oxen. Six covered wagons and twelve oxen. That's listed among the things that they were given. But what's said next? These wagons were given to the Levites according to their service. In other words, what is Israel going to do with a bunch of wagons and a bunch of oxen? Well, it makes sense, all those things that they have to carry related to the tabernacle from one location to the next, it makes sense that they can use these things, these carts to move those. But now notice the following verses, or the following statements. To the Gershemites, and this is recorded in number 7, to the Gershemites they were given two wagons and four oxen. To the Merarites they were given four wagons and eight oxen. And if you're math, if you're, you might already have the math figured out, that's all of the carts and the wagons, right? That, that's all the carts and the oxen that they were given right there. To the Kohathites, they were given none. Why were the Kohathites not given any carts or any wagons? Now this, this is it, folks. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take it of them that they may do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen, and he gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to get the sons of Gershom, according to their service. Four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave them none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear it up on their shoulders. You see, all this is about God trying to teach man the difference between what is sacred and what is profane or common. God wants, you cannot worship a holy God if you and understand what it's like to be in the presence of a holy God if you can't tr- learn how to treat holy things. God's teaching them how to treat holy things so they will know how to approach into a holy God. They were told they were to bear these holy things on their shoulders. What were they bearing them on? A cart. They were pulling it on a cart. That's not what God told them to do. And so we now have the rest of the story. The ark was supposed to be carried on the shoulders. That's what those rings on the side of the ark were for. So they could put staves to the rings and they could bear them on their shoulders. This was not just a piece of furniture that could be moved any way people wanted to. This represented God's holiness. Therefore, it was only to be touched by this certain group of people and carried in a certain way. This is why they were given no carts. They should have known it. David should have known it. It's recorded in the law of Moses that that the kings of, of Israel were supposed to study the law constantly. Every day they were to study the law. David should have known this. And if I was a Kohathite, I surely would have known this. I would have known what my job was. I would certainly known the things that would have threatened my life. This is a sign of this is a situation of neglect. A neglect of God's word, a neglect of God's will. David finally come to understand, after a little time passed, David finally come to understand what the trespass was, the mistake that they had made. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, 1 through 2, we read this. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Got that right, David. But what else did David say a few verses later? Verses 12 through 15. And he said unto them, You are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourself, both you and your brethren that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. For that we sought Him not after the due order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God on their shoulders with staves their own as Moses commanded according to the word of God now they've got it figured out now they figured out what was wrong they decided to carry the ark on a cart maybe they got that bright idea from the way the Philistines delivered it back to them whatever was going through their mind I know what wasn't going through their mind God's Word was not going through their mind they were not considering things after the due order in other words the way God told them to go about doing it they didn't consider that so what lessons can we learn From this account, again, we're not ever going to carry an ark. We're never going to have to worry about this exact situation ever playing out. The ark's been lost. God's not going to have us build another one. This is not a part of the New Testament law whatsoever. So what does it have to do with me today? We can learn several lessons from it. First, most obvious one is that we need to seek, that we should seek God after the due order. In other words, well, as the American Standard Version says it, according to the ordinances that God has given. <clears throat> or as the New King James says, consult him about the proper order. To state it simply, they did not search in the Scriptures to see what God said about the service they were performing. When you get ready to perform service to God, especially worshiping to God, you better be in, take a little time to inform yourself about the due order of things, the way God wants them to be done. Because this account clearly tells us that God does care. When he tells us how he wants something to be done, he hasn't left that open for us to change, make, change things and make alterations and decide what technology ought to... Because of technology, we now have carts, you know, with wheels. Why should we carry this on our shoulders anymore? God hasn't given us that option. We need to follow things after the due order. This is a fateful event that absolutely could have been avoided if the people would have familiarized themselves with God's Word, if they would have meditated on it, this could, there would not have been any oxen to stumble. There would have been no car to have shifted, and therefore there would have been no reason for Uzzah to reach out and steady that ark. All this could have been prevented. And so that day, God made an example out of Uzzah. I don't know that Uzzah suffered an eternal fate. I would like to think that he did not. But he certainly suffered death on this occasion and is given it as an example For us, for the for humanity for the rest of time, until the Lord should return again, that every man might learn to seek him after the due order. If this is not in the Bible for this reason, why is it? Why is this recorded for all ages to read, if not, but to remind us to seek things after the due order? The same seeking things after the due order is required of God's people today. It's in the New Testament. This is this is said again in not so many words. For example, Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. In other words, whatever you do, whatever you teach in religion, whatever you practice in religion, you better do it with the authority of God. That's what that verse literally means. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have an obligation to seek things after the due order. And think about it for just a moment. How many people out there today are worshiping God in this same city and across the globe at this very moment, worshiping God in a way and they have not sought the due order? They think there's so many people out there today that think worship can be done in any way that they want, just as long as they're sincere in their heart. And so they're changing things, they're adding things, they're Preachers coming in on zip lines. Yeah, it really happened. They're shooting fireworks in services. Yeah, it's really happened. They're changing the frequency of things. They're changing the meaning of things. They're adding things. Are they seeking after the due order of things? No. People are still committing this very same thing today. And we're very lucky and thankful, I'm sure, that God is not doing the same thing that He did to us We'd have people falling out all over the place, and it wouldn't be getting the Holy Ghost. They'd just be falling out. (laughs) wouldn't be getting back up. What's another lesson we can learn? God really does care about the details, doesn't He? Let it be established now and forever that God does care about the details. The details are there for a reason. In this case, the details were to teach man about holiness, to teach the difference between what God calls holy and sacred from what men consider as common or profane things. that's what this was all about. Their attention to details regarding sacred things was to teach him, them ultimately teach them how God is wants to be reverenced and treated. if they can't understand how to treat gold inlaid things as sacred they certainly will not be able to know how to treat a God as sacred. it was going to take, more than just put an ark in the city of David to be in God's favor. They were going to have to put his word in their hearts and their minds and obey him. God will be held in reverence among his faithful followers. And when God gives us a pattern, he means for that pattern to be followed. A third lesson we can learn from this text is, good intentions don't make up for ignorance of God's word. I want you to think about all the good intentions that are implied in this text. There's no doubt that David's intentions were good. I don't doubt for a minute that Uzzah's intentions were good. No doubt all the people that showed up that day to celebrate and give God glory did so with good intentions. But there was a showstopper that day, and the showstopper was ignorance. Ignorance of the law does not excuse. If you don't understand that principle, just go out and go speeding up and down Germantown Parkway, and when a cop pulls you over... An officer pulls you over. You just tell them, "Well, I didn't know the speed limit was so and so, such and such, or so and so," and you see what they tell you. Well, I'm sorry. I don't care if you knew it or not. The sign was posted. You're going. You're you're going to have to show up in court and pay a fine. It's the same thing when it comes to the word of God. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you if you didn't know it or not. It was posted. It's right here. You don't have any. You don't have any excuse. Cause you've been told to study to show thyself approved into God you've been told to search seek things out after the due order of God you've been told to, for everything that you do to do things in, in by the authority of Jesus Christ on power with this is a biblical statement in the times of this ignorance God winked at and now commandeth all men everywhere to repent which that's acts 1730 which reminds me as difficult As harsh as this may seem, God was more lenient on the Israelites in some ways than He is on us. He expects more of us today than He did them. Yes, we have more freedom. We don't have as many laws as they had to follow, but He expects more. Because now we've grown up into a complete man. Think of it this way. God was dealing with children then. He was trying to teach His children what sin was and what holy things were. Now we've grown up. He expects more of us today. Many people today just go out and worship God ignorantly, and they think their worship will be accepted on the basis of their good intention. Remember what some of the what God has said throughout the ages in a few instances like this one, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, for I desired mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Or 1 Samuel 15, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Oh, I wish our denominational friends would understand what that means today. that he desired, That obedience is better than sacrifice. Those that are convinced that sincerity is all that God is concerned about. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is this, that they might be saved, for I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted into the righteousness of God. Perfect description of those today who are not following the due order. Finally, one more lesson for us today, and we'll close. Beware of new carts. Beware of new carts. The idea for using a new cart to transport this ark might have, as I mentioned, it might have come from the Philistines, the fact that the Philistines did so. The Philistines did not have the law of Moses. They didn't know any better. And even though it was still sin in the eyes of God, because ignorance does not excuse the law, God did understand that there was somewhat of a difference in that He had not told them. But He told the Israelites. They should not have been ignorant. The Philistines, uh, maybe they got that idea to use this new cart from the Philistines, or maybe they just felt like the times are changing. You know, we have this new technology now. It's called the cart, (laughs) you know. We, we put these wheels on this cart. We got this new technology. And surely this, these old ways of carrying it on staves, on our shoulders, that's, that's old, that's outdated. We need to move on. We need to, we need to continue. We need to keep up with technology. There's a number of parallels that we can see in, in the world today where either men or women assume that it is okay to do certain things, to use new carts because of their good intent or because times are different, or because others are doing it. Consider with me just a few of the new carts that you can see in the world today. What about the new cart of instrumental music? God's told us to, uh, to, to sing and make melody in our, in our heart. He's not only told us what to do, sing, He's told us where the melody's supposed to come from, from the heart, not from the guitar, not from the, not from the piano, not from the organ. He's told us what He wants, and when people add to it, you know what they're doing? They're using new carts. We don't have to go but to this account of Uzzah to know what God thinks about that. What about the new cart of women preachers and elders? Oh, well, times have changed, you see. Women were oppressed back in those days, and, and nowadays we're, we're, we're morally superior. We're morally superior. Nowadays, we've we've gotten past that, and now we let women do anything. And so that was spoken to a different generation in a different time. That doesn't apply to us, and yet it's in the law that we're supposed to follow. Women preachers and teachers are new carts, and we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware against it. What about the new cart of open fellowship at a lot of churches today? That well, we're just going to work hand in hand with the with the Catholics. We're, we'll work hand in hand with the with the muslim we'll work hand in hand with anybody because fellowship's the greatest moral accomplishment we can do we are so loving we accept everyone but the bible still says have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness if, if mark them that walk, walk are contrary to the things that you've been taught have no association with them don't even eat with them the bible still says that what about the new cart of open fellowship what about the new cart of once a month or, or quarterly communion. Bible tells us on the first day of the week we're supposed to do this. How many first days of the week are there? The same number in, in a year as there were Sabbaths in the Old Testament. 52 of them. Do it every year every week of every year. What about the new card of once a month or quarterly communion? What about the new card of social and prosperity gospels? People enti- changing the entire gospel out there today friends there's no end to the number of new carts that are being used in the religious world today but when new carts arrive at the threshing floor of God those who drive them will see that they have stumbled and God's anger will be kindled against them and they will suffer a fate similar to that of others but much worse because as I said God expects more of us today yes he's been more lenient on us in some ways but in the end, when judgment comes, he expects, oh, so much more. We're not going to lose our life, but still have a hope of, life, of eternal life. We will lose our eternal soul. Question, as we draw to a close in this lesson, what was Uzzah's error? Short answer, he didn't seek God's way in regards to the service that he was trying to perform. Whatever service that you're performing to God, make sure that you've opened His book and studied it. Make sure that everything you're doing is accordance, in accordance with what He said. And again, for what reason is this recorded in our Bibles? For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition or our warning upon whom the ends of the world are come. I'll end with the same verse that we begun with. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which it fell, such as us, severity. But unto thee goodness, if thou continue in goodness, or seek after the due order, otherwise... Thou also shall be cut off. We want to extend the invitation of Jesus Christ as we close today. If you're here and you're not a child of God, the Bible tells us that if we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that belief being an act of belief, including obedience, which includes repenting of our sins and being baptized to have those sins washed away, then heaven can be our home. If you've not done that, we only say this every week because eternity is so long and we have so little time to prepare. We want to encourage you. We would rejoice with you today if you're not a Christian. To put on the Lord in baptism, have your sins washed away, and be with our number. And be part of the number that's going to be in eternity with God in heaven forever. If you are here today and you are a child of God and you've sinned in some way, maybe something about this lesson has touched your heart and you've realized that you've woefully fallen short. Opportunities like these, I can't promise you you'll always have them. But this is an opportunity that you have to make things right. If we can assist you, won't you come as we stand and sing?